Today, uh, we are in our series called Scripture Songs. We're looking at a different song in Scripture each week. And this week will be a little bit different. It'll be a song that brings us to the Lord's table. And, and that's how we'll look at a song today in Scripture. I thought I'd start out, though, by hearkening back to the first week. I asked and encouraged you to memorize a psalm, a song in Scripture, uh, as part of the series. Well, it ends next week, so I'm checking in on that just to see how it's going. You probably thought I might not come back to it, but uh, if you haven't memorized a song from Scripture and you'd like to participate with us in doing that, uh, I'd encourage you to get to it this week, and uh, next week we'll end up, wrap up the sermon series. I thought that uh, it'd be good for me just to explain how I memorize Scripture. I'm certainly a learner in this area. I don't even know if I would say I'm good at it, but I've done it enough to know uh, I've learned along the way. So I'll just open you up. If I'm memorizing a song in the Psalms, which is about 10 verses, and I want to memorize that song, the first thing I'll do is I'll just read it uh, pretty regularly for three or four days and just kind of uh, not really have in my mind that I'm memorizing this, but just take it in. Just take it in as scripture and take it in as a song. And then once I get ready to, to get more at task, I'll actually uh, handwrite the psalm word for word. And there's a little visual, I guess, of that. And it's just real simple. But what I found when I do that, I'm actually, I feel like a bit like I'm a scribe from the Old Testament or something. Because as I write it out, I find how careful I have to be to actually transcribe it word for word. And then as I'm doing that, I realize things in the song, even though I've been reading it for three days, there's things as I write it down that, that kind of jump out in a, in a fresh way. And then I, uh, I go for a walk, I know. And I just, I read, after I've meditated on it for a while, I just memorize the song. And I'm, I'm trying to go for word for word memorization at this point. And I just uh, try to get to the point where I can put it in my back pocket and recite it to myself. And then I found for someone like me, which you're probably just like me, you have to come back to it at least twice a day uh, when you first memorize something. And um, what I found is later on when a passage comes back up that I've memorized, I don't still have it word for word unless I've kept it in my regular review pattern, but um, I still... I still have this familiarity with the scripture because I've memorized it at a heart level. And that's where I would say memorization is a different tool than reading God's word, and it's a different tool than studying it in depth. Those are equally important in their own ways. But when we memorize scripture, it just it ends up being written on our heart in a different way than when we read it. And I've seen in my own life just the power of that. Um, for me personally, and then... God, usually the day after I memorize something, God just creates a scenario that, that that scripture is so fitting. And I think part of that is scripture is just fitting almost in any scenario. So when we have it memorized, it's like, oh, wow, everything is coming together and it fits perfectly. But it's a great example of how God's word is so powerful in our day-to-day -day life. So there's my little uh, follow-up that, that you probably didn't think I'd follow up on. Just a reminder uh, that part of the series is um, a goal to memorize a song in Scripture. 
So there you have it. Um, the song this week is a little different. It's called A Song of Ascents. And I think one helpful way to think about it is as a soundtrack. I, um, my wife and I, a few years ago, we did the cliche thing. We rented a convertible and we drove up the coast of California, Big Sur, North San Francisco. It was awesome. I highly recommend it. Leverage everything you can to go and do that. But that might not be the wisest advice, but it was awesome. And so we had a soundtrack for that road trip, and we ended up listening to this CD by Ray LaMontagne, which is a CD called Trouble. It's really, really beautiful music. And that became a soundtrack for that road trip. And that's a good way for me just to remember that trip, and it just brings back great memories. Also, this past summer, we took another road trip, that I'm remembering in different ways. We spent three days in the car in a minivan with all four of our kids, and we drove to Western Canada. So three days straight in the car with the kids. And um, I'm remembering that in different ways, but, but it's funny because it was a great trip. We had an awesome time as a family, and um, I treasured all that time. And, but we had a different soundtrack for that trip. So we ended up listening to Al City, which is a band that the kids like, and we also like them, so kind of got into that. And then we also uh, listened to Adventures in Odyssey, and Adventures in Odyssey is a story. We got it from, from, from some friends in church, and it's like a long series of stories. Uh, so we started from the beginning, and we just put a little dent in the series because there's, it's such a long, ongoing thing. But um, the story kind of came to life as part of the road trip, and... You know, the parents even got into it because it's it's well done. But in thinking about that, think about how in your own life, songs kind of enter into that road trip picture. We've all been on a road trip and we've all had music kind of have a speaking voice in that. And, And that's kind of akin to what happens with the people of Israel. They have these things called songs of ascents. And you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 120. We'll start there. It's really cool. There's a songbook within the songbook. Psalms is the songbook of the Hebrew people. It was the way that they praised God. And within the songbook, there's from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, we have the songs of ascents. And these songs were used in a special way. If you had been someone back then and you were part of one of the tribes of Israel, you would look forward to three times a year going up to Jerusalem. And on every Sabbath, you'd worship with your family and your people and your own tribe. But three times a year, God gave directions for the people to go up to Jerusalem. And the reason we talk about going up to Jerusalem is that Jerusalem is in the mountains. It's 2,500 feet above sea level. Remember, the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level. So there's a lot of elevation relief in that area. And um, so not only were they geographically uh, going up to Jerusalem, but they were also going up to Jerusalem because that's where God dwelled with the people in the temple. And if we just kind of page through these psalms, I think you'll start to see the theme come out. Look at Psalm 121. And I'm just going to read a verse from each psalm just to highlight the themes of these songs. So Psalm 121, it says, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? In Psalm 122, verse 1, 
I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And turn over to Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Look at the next Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Psalm 127, a song of a sense of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 128. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And verse 5 of Psalm 129. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. There's this picture of the need for a love of Zion as the people went to the presence of God in the temple. Zion was the mountain in Jerusalem. There was a Mount Zion near Jerusalem, but then where the temple was became known as Mount Zion because that's where God's presence dwelt with the people. And we're going to look at the next psalm, Psalm 130, in detail this morning. That's the song we're looking at today. And... The overarching theme of the Songs of Ascents is that the people of God were on a pilgrimage, a climb, an ascent to God. And the other theme is that God's presence dwelt with the people there in Jerusalem and Mount Zion. They were not only climbing and ascending, but they were climbing and ascending and approaching God. And you see, see that throughout these songs. But Psalm 130 is a little different. Um, it's called a penitential psalm. And it's one of six or seven songs that we have spread throughout the book of Psalms that's a confessional. It's a song of confession. So it's different than the other Psalms of Ascents, and it finds itself here. And I believe that this song will be just a good song for us to look at as we um, approach the Lord's table and remember the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So allow me to read this song for us, Psalm 130. Psalm 130, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The Hebrew songwriter 
had this one particular tool that was kind of like what they always went to. And it's basically, it's called parallelism, but a good way to think about it is rhyming thoughts or thought rhyming. And so the Hebrew poet would not focus on rhyming words so that they actually rhymed. There was some of that. And they wouldn't focus as much on rhythm and syncopation, although that's in there too. But their main tool was parallelism or rhyming thoughts. So they'd put one thought next to another thought and they'd compare the two. So they'd either, they'd either parallel each other in some form. They'd either uh, be the same or they'd be contrasting or you know, one thought might be here and then it might be a little bit deeper. That's thought rhyming and that's, that's the tool of the Hebrew songwriter. And Psalm 130 is really beautiful. There's eight verses, but there's really four uh, parallel ideas that compare and contrast. So we'll look at each one, and as we look at it, I think we'll see just a really profound invitation to come to the Lord's table. So let's look at the first one. Out of the depths... I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The first thing that we see from the songwriter is that he's crying out from the depths. The word depths there is the same one that Jonah used when he was in the sea. Jonah said this in chapter 2, verse 3 of Jonah. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So Jonah felt that he was on the brink of death. But this songwriter is a little different. He's not on the brink of death. Um, He's distant from God. He's far from God. And in his farness from God, um, he starts at the bottom. And so that makes sense that a song of ascents would start from the depths. He's distant from God, and then he cries out for the Lord's attention. I think that as I've reflected on this song, one thing that really struck me is um, both the humility and the boldness that this writer has. He, He says, oh Lord, four times in the first three verses, but then he asks for God's attention. He says, turn your ear to me, give attention to me, Hear my cry for mercy. So though he's far off from God, he is uh, calling out to God. And I think as we think about us coming to the Lord, um, those of us have all been far off from God. We've been distant from him. I love what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says. In Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And this writer's cry for mercy is, um, I think, can be compared to the distance that we've come as we've come close to God and how he brings us close. So not only is the writer distance, but we'll look at the next set in verse 3. And look what he says. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? 
But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. What we see here is that the songwriter, not only does he feel distant from God, but he feels guilt. He feels separation. He's crying out for mercy, and he recognizes that God, with God, is forgiveness. I love um, how we see this kind of come out. I mean, I would have really expected him to say, Oh, Lord, because you keep record of sins, you are feared. That's not what he says. He says, Oh, Lord, because forgiveness is with you, you are feared. It's a really ironic or interesting connection that the writer would connect forgiveness with fear. And as I've thought about that, I've just been wondering, what does that mean? The word fear there, it means awe or reverence. We have awe and reverence for God because he forgives us. I think of um, Jesus in Luke chapter 5 when he was um, there early in his ministry and some, some men lowered a paralytic in front of him, and he was uh, forced into a situation where he had to um, respond to this man's request for healing. And he looked at the man in front of all the people, and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers at the time, they started to cry, blasphemy, who can forgive sins except God? And he looked at them, and he overheard what they were saying, and he knew what they were saying. And he said, I do this so that you may know I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looked at the man and he healed him and he told him to stand. And we know from Christ's life that he was the exact representation of his father and that when we saw Christ, we saw the father. And even in Christ's earthly ministry, even before his death and resurrection, he had authority to forgive sins, which I think is awesome. And... And this writer, he feels that he says, who could stand, God, if you kept a record of sins? But with you is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I think it's amazing that we can at least know that the writer understands God's character. And then let's look at the the next set, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Last week we talked about um, chiastic structure, which is where the writer uses A, B, C, B, A pattern, and he kind of hones in on a deep uh, truth. And here you can see a, a mini chiasm Um, right in verse 5 and 6. He waits for the Lord. His soul waits. That's A, B. And then C is the center. And in his word, I put my hope. And then he repeats, my soul waits for the Lord. So you can kind of see that uh, chiastic structure there. But what's happening here 
is that the songwriter is longing for the forgiveness of God. And that's how we can understand this waiting, this, this expectation. I've thought about that, and because of Christ and because of his death, resurrection, and his sacrifice, we have uh, the full access of God. We come to God, we assume his attention because we've been given uh, access to the Father through Jesus. And then we go to the Father with this access and our sins are forgiven. But the Hebrew people carried sin differently. They actually had to carry it. And uh, the Lord said, when you come to me for your festivals, don't show up empty-handed. And what he was saying is, bring an offering to me, to my house, and make an offering. And through that offering, uh, they would receive forgiveness. So as they were ascending toward the presence of God, uh, the songwriter longed, his soul waited uh, for the Lord. And at that time, all he could do is put his hope in God's word. The word there, word, is promise, God's promises, God's truth. Uh, the, the songwriter was waiting on God's promise. And specifically, he was waiting for forgiveness. Not only that, but it tells us how he was waiting. He says, more than watchmen wait for the morning. That's how I'm waiting for God. A watchman uh, was someone who would stay through the night and watch the city walls. And he was watching for two things. He was watching for the enemy, because that was his job to protect and to call out uh, when the enemy approached. But he was also watching for the dawn, because the dawn was something that he could count on. And when the light came, uh, the fear of the night was gone. And there would be this great relief when the morning would be here. And the writer says, more than a watchman waits for the dawn, I am waiting. My soul is waiting on the Lord's forgiveness. And then we turn to the last one, where this longing is uh, projected to the people. He says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He goes from the beginning, being at the depths, feeling the guilt and separation from God, longing for forgiveness. And then he turns to the people. And he says, as I put my hope in God's word, you put your hope in the Lord. Because with the Lord is unfailing love, and with the Lord is full redemption. I think this is a great example of a leader among the people that uh, recognized his distance from God, recognized his own inability to be forgiven on his own right, but had this longing for it, and that he was placing his hope in, in godly things. And he looks to all of Israel and he says the same thing, put your hope in the Lord. And then it ends with this really stunning, beautiful, amazing sentence. He 
himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Even the song ends with this hopeful expectation. I was thinking about the Lord's Supper and, and how we come to God for forgiveness and how faithful he is to forgive. And then I remembered in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul was teaching the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. One of the things he said about it is that when we celebrate this meal together as a body of Christ, not only are we, we remembering the Lord's death, but we're anticipating the Lord's return. And that's something that we still are hoping for and expecting. And this song really leads the listener from a distant place to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. So I think it'd be good just to talk about what Mount Zion is, because it's a, a theme that pops up in Scripture often, and compare that to Christ. I think in the simplest, straightforward way, Zion is a mountain, and Christ is God. And Zion becomes a figuratively important location in the people of God, uh, but all the time Zion is a mountain, and all the time Christ is God. And uh, listen to the way that's described in, throughout Scripture. I'll read a few verses, four passages throughout the Old New Testament that share this. And listen to the way that Zion and Christ are connected in Scripture. In Joel 2.32, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. Zechariah 8.3, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. In Romans chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says that, And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. In Revelation 14.1, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. Christ is the fulfillment of the presence of God with the people. The very moment that he died on the cross, it says that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And we have a saving God that has come to us. He's come low and become like one of us. And yet all the time, being the very Son of God, very God in the flesh, He knows what it's like to be one of us. And He's experienced the temptations that we face. And I find this such a a really um, amazing contrast to what the people of Israel had to pursue when they were looking for God's presence and how far Christ has come toward us to allow his presence to be so full in our lives that it says that we who are in Christ um, are new creation and Christ in us is our hope and our glory. And In closing, I I guess I would just like to say 
I think this song can be really helpful for us. I mean, it was the soundtrack of the Hebrew people. They used these songs as they approached the Lord. And I think we can learn a lot just contextually even in that. But I also think that this is a great model of how we approach the Lord still today. Um, There's this progression of being far off, distant, recognizing guilt and separation, longing for God's forgiveness. And then it says that he himself will redeem all Israel from all their sins. And it's just a a great picture that uh, ultimately we see fulfilled in Christ. I mean, if you go into Romans, Paul goes at great length to unfold for us how God has not forgotten about his people, Israel, and that the promise to Abraham is still alive and true. And we, as generally we are the Gentiles, the ones not chosen um, as part of God's uh, holy people, and yet we've been grafted in and accepted as children of God and have received all the same rights as God's very own people. He's made us his people. And I say all that to just to say that, that we are God's people and uh, what's true for them is still true to us. This, the songwriter, he knew that he could not forgive his own sins. He knew that forgiveness was with the Lord and he feared the Lord because of it. And he asked Israel to put their hope in the same Lord. And the same is true for us. So as we close, I just want to ask you, as you think about the, this, uh, the soundtrack that your life is listening to, and think about how God has uh, been drawing you to himself in different ways. Like maybe the fact that you're here and why you're here and how you got here had something to do with that. And I'd also just encourage all of us, um, though we do have the full attention of God, it's not something that we should take for granted. And we can come to God completely, and we can expect his attention because of Christ, but it's something that we should never uh, forget to be thankful for. So we're going to come to the Lord's table, and I'm just going to pray over us now as we think about ways to celebrate this meal together. Father, thank you for uh, this song in Scripture and how how deep um, the longing was for this writer um, to find you, to come to your holy place and to be in your presence. And uh, thank you for his recognition, God, that sin has separated him And he's longing for the forgiveness that only you can offer and the full redemption that you promise. And I just pray for that for all of us. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't understand uh, what it means to have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be a day that they would answer that question for themselves or begin answering it in their life, that they would... uh, Not rest, God, until you become clear fully to them and that salvation um, can be fully received in their life. And uh, 
We also pray for all of us, God, that are confessing believers in you as we come to this table. God, just work in our hearts. Show us uh, the ways that need to be changed in our hearts. And give us a path that is not just a simple walk, but that is a climb and an ascent uh, to your presence. And ultimately, God, we look forward and we anticipate your return. God, thank you for your work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.